Exodus chapter 33 verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favour in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favour in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, speak to us, we pray, by your Spirit, through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're coming to the end of our series in the book of Exodus and this evening we're looking at Exodus chapters 33 and 34 and they have a great message for a church and a world in the midst of this viral megastorm that we find ourselves in. If you've got a Bible with you please open that up to Exodus chapter 33. 
What's the story so far? God's people were enslaved and suffering under the harsh hand of the hard-hearted Egyptian pharaohs. God heard their cry and used Moses and a series of plagues to redeem them from their slavery and set them free to serve him in a covenant relationship of love. The other day, my little grandson Ezra found a toad stranded on open ground, parched, desperate for water, and no doubt utterly miserable, uh, if a toad can be miserable. Ezra and his mum helped it along, and then when it could go no further, they picked it up and helped it into the river. And it swam off happy as Larry. And I know that because I saw the WhatsApp video of the rescue happening. So a redeemed and rescued toad. And that is what God did for the Israelites, God's people. So the Lord met with his people at Mount Sinai out in the desert. But while Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God, the people lost both faith and patience and fell into gross idolatry and immorality. And the Israelites were given a taste of death through slaughter by slaughter and plague, though the Lord stayed his hand and spared the rest, so that the mortality rate seems to have been somewhere around 1% or less similar to that inflicted by this wretched virus. Which brings us to chapter 33 and my first heading. So first, a looming disaster for God's people. You'd have thought that a mortality rate of 1% or so would have been enough of a catastrophe. But now, a far worse disaster threatens to come their way. The Lord, in his righteous anger, tells Moses to take the people with him and go. He tells them to head to the promised land, which in his mercy he will still give to them. But there is a terrible sting in the tail of this command. Look at chapter 33, verse 3 where the Lord continues to speak to Moses in this way. He says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but, and listen to this, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. An utterly holy and faithful God cannot live together with a deeply unholy and unfaithful people any more than fire and straw can live together. The one gets consumed by the other. And speaking of this encounter at Mount Sinai, Hebrews 12 says to us New Testament believers, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for our God is a consuming fire. So the Lord says to the Israelites, I'm not coming with you. Because of your sin, it would destroy you if I did. And this is where we see the other side of God's people, because when they hear this from the Lord, they come to their spiritual senses. Remember, they've just come through a devastating storm of death and destruction that swept through their camp. But what they've just heard puts the frighteners on them far more even than that. The prospect of journeying on through life without the living God living among them terrifies them. Chapter 3, verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. Life without the living God, far more than decimation by plague, was the looming disaster for God's people. 
The other day I watched again the old film The Battle of Britain. I remember when it came out in 1969 and my father went with me to the cinema to see it. I have no idea how he got that past my mum. When the scenes got particularly bloody, he would cover my eyes with his hands, which was a bit annoying for a, a 10-year-old boy because a 10-year-old boy loves a bit of blood and guts. He just doesn't understand what it is that he's seeing. But that film captures the sense of looming disaster here in this country in the summer of 1940, with invasion just around the corner. Let's pray for our nation and our church and ourselves that we will fear the withdrawal of the Lord's presence and the prospect of life without the living God far more even than the looming disaster of a plague. So first, a looming disaster for God's people. Then secondly, a crucial friendship with the living God. The only hope that the Israelites had, had in the face of this looming disaster was the unique relationship that one man had with God, and that man was Moses. Back in chapter 32, verse 30, Moses had said to his people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And now in chapter 33, verses 7 to 11, there's a window opened for us onto this extraordinary friendship that Moses has with God, in which lies the only hope for the Israelites. It tells how Moses had a special tent outside the main camp, his tent of meeting, where he and the living God would talk together. Chapter 33, verse 9, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, that's the sign of God's presence with them, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And on to chapter 33, verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. It's true for us too that our only hope of avoiding the looming disaster of journeying through life and its storms without the Lord alongside us, lies in the crucial friendship of one man with the living God. But the relationship of Jesus to God makes even this amazing friendship of Moses with God pale into insignificance in comparison. God the Father and Jesus, God's beloved Son, are one. And the even more astonishing and wonderful truth is that through the blood of Christ poured out for us on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, we too can share in that friendship of father and son. In our household, not least in these strange times, we're suckers for a good costume drama. And early on in the new one called Belgravia, there's a fascinating scene. It's 1815 in Brussels. And there's a looming disaster as Napoleon's great army bears down on the Allied forces for the cataclysmic confrontation that, of course, became known as the Battle of Waterloo. A young woman, just a teenager, confidently walks through door after guarded door, straight past increasingly senior military officers, right into the presence of the man on whom the Duke of Wellington himself is relying to provide all the supplies and provisions that his army needs for what lies ahead. And when she arrives, he summarily 
sends packing the man who he's talking to in order to turn his full attention to this teenager. Why? Because, of course, she is his daughter. Her relationship with her father gives her privileged access. Moses was God's friend. Jesus is God's son. On him alone we depend if we were to avoid the looming disaster of life without the living God. So on the basis of this crucial, crucial friendship that Moses has with God, what does he do in order to save the Israelites from disaster? He prays. So thirdly, a powerful prayer for God's presence. Take a look at this fantastic and bold exchange that Moses has on behalf of the Israelites with the living God who is a consuming fire, but who is also his friend. So this is chapter 33, verses 12 to 17. But note this, Moses repeatedly speaks of finding favour with God. And we mustn't misunderstand that. This is not favour that is earned. This is a gift. This is all grace. It really means finding grace. Finding favour means finding grace. Think of that as we read this prayer. And notice too how Moses prays boldly on the basis of the favour that he has already found with God to ask for even more favour in the face of the looming disaster. So chapter 33 verses 12 to 17. Moses said to the people, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favour in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. In answer to Moses' bold prayer, the Lord relents, and gives Moses what he's asked for and promises his presence with his people as they travel on. What comfort it is and what hope it gives us in these otherwise fearful times to know that the Son of God himself is at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Because of Jesus, we have found favour with God and he is with us and he will never leave us and he will bring us through and we are safe for all eternity. Rod Earnshaw of Holy Trinity Gateshead has given a helpful reminder of the privilege of prayer that we have in Christ. He says this, Can I call on you to pray? From a purely human perspective, it appears as if there is no stopping this coronavirus. 
The news is quite frightening. But God has many times called a halt to deadly plagues while they were still spreading. See, for example, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 26. And we know that he hears and answers our prayers. So please pray for a halt to this crisis. He may have other plans in our time, and if so, we can trust that they will be good. But for the sake of our neighbours and for ourselves, we who know the Lord must cry out to him for mercy in times like this. And why can we dare to pray boldly for mercy? Because God has shown us that he is good and he is merciful. So fourthly, a revelation of God's mercy, grace and glory. The Lord's gracious answer to Moses' bold prayer leads him on to even greater boldness. So in chapter 33, verse 18, he prays, Please show me your glory. And the Lord tells him that he will show to Moses his goodness, grace and mercy. But, chapter 33, verse 20, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God shows us all that we can bear of who he is. The full weight of his glory is more than we can bear. But we see enough. And we see it above all in Jesus and at the cross where he was glorified. Down in the southwest, near where we once lived, there is a rock cleft through. And the locals claim that Augustus Toplady took shelter in it one day during a storm and it inspired his great hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. And as we put our trust in him, he has washed us and we will not die. And so the Lord did pass before Moses and told him once and for all what he is like. Chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yes, there are consequences from the sin in our lives, just as whatever happens now, the world will never be quite the same again after COVID-19 in all kinds of ways that we can't yet foresee. But whatever we're heading into, this we know. God is good and gracious and loving and merciful. And on this we can rely. So a looming disaster for God's people, a crucial friendship with the living God, a powerful prayer for God's presence, a revelation of God's glory, and finally, fifthly, a confirmation 
of God's good purpose for his people. It's as if Moses says to God, Did I hear you correctly? I want to be sure. Tell me one more time. So chapter 34 and verses 8 to 10. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favour in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And the Lord said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as you have such as have not been created in all the earth or in any other nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And Moses did see God do awesome things. But they were nothing to what we have seen God do in Jesus through the cross and the resurrection that we're going to be rejoicing in all over again this coming Easter season. No virus can make a dent in that. After the Battle of Britain on the 20th of August 1940, Churchill famously said, Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. He was, of course, wrong. He forgot a far greater occasion even than that. Never has so much been owed by so many, to, not to so few, but to one man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Come what may, through him we can be sure of God's good purposes for his people. Let's bow our heads to pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that as you showed yourself to Moses, you have shown yourself to us above all in the Lord Jesus. And we praise you that you are full of grace and mercy and goodness. Father, have mercy on us, our church and our nation. And when we feel fear rising within us, Teach us to put our trust in you and to know that you are with us and to have peace. In the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Amen.